Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, April 18th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Huai Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. Okay, we have a lot of news to get to uh, because yesterday we were doing the water cooler, so let's just jump into it. Let's start with uh, Disney's acquisition of 20th Century Fox. Uh, we've already seen some casualties, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, many jobs. Uh, but now we're starting to see the casualties on the production slate. There was a film, a film adaptation of Mouse Guard that was slated to go into productions in just two weeks. But it sounds like that's not happening anymore. HD, what do we know? Uh, apparently, Disney has axed Mouse Guard, which was uh, set to be directed by Maze Runner's Wes Ball and starring Idris Elba, Andy Serkis, Thomas Brody Sangster, and Sonoya Mizuno. Uh, this is going to be a motion capture animated film, which was adapting David Peterson's beloved comic series of the same name. But it seems to have been scrapped by Disney in the first major film ca- uh, casualty of the acquisition. Um, but it seems that um, they Disney is allowing the producers, which includes Matt, Matt Reeves, to shop the project around to other studios with potential um, for a new home to be at Netflix. This is so strange because I feel like out of anything that was on the Fox's slate um, that they inherited, I feel like Mouse Guard is so Disney. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's an Arthurian tale of like, you know, knights and it's these, but but with mice and creatures like that sounds so Disney to me. Um, what, what are you thinking? Why do you think they are getting rid of this? Well, according to some sources uh, to The Hollywood Reporter, um, Disney wants Fox's output to be mostly adult-oriented fare because they want to have sort of that um, jurisdiction over the family market. And um, Mouse Guard is just too similar to other properties that they have 
already going on, like Lion King, Jungle Book, other CGI motion capture heavy films. And um, they just kind of want uh, 20th, century, 20th Century Fox to just focus on um, the more adult-oriented fare, ex- with the exception of Avatar. Yeah. Uh, I guess that makes sense. Uh, one of my favorite uh, board games of all time is called Mice and Mystics, and it kind of takes its cues from the Most Guard series. It's 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 kind of, I mean, it's 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 definitely its own thing with its own characters and own story, but it definitely took inspiration from Most Guard, and I know uh, that's being developed into a feature film. So if this never happens, we might end up getting that which uh, could be cool. Speaking of the Fox acquisition, we, we've, from day one, we've been talking about, I think everybody's been talking about these superheroes that Disney is going to inherit, uh, that, that, you know, the Marvel-owned superheroes that Fox has. Um, we've been talking about, you know, the film library. What are the reasons why Fox uh, is being acquired by Disney? But it turns out Bob Iger is saying the real reason is building the content of the Disney Plus streaming service library. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so Bob Iger, who is the CEO of the Walt Disney Company, said, uh, we would not have done that transaction, talking about acquiring Fox, had we not decided to go in this streaming direction. Uh, if we hadn't, we would be we would have been looking at that business and through a traditional lens, oh, we're buying TV channels, we're buying more movie-making capability, etc. By the time the acquisition opportunity came up and we knew we were going in the space, we evaluated what we were buying through this new lens of wow, what could National Geographic mean to us? What could it mean having access to Fox's library, not to monetize it through traditional means, but to do it through streaming? Bam, I mean, the light bulb went off. So that was his quote. Um, yeah, this is sort of surprising to me, uh, but like, because I think I think for the exact reason that you said, Peter, like most of the media coverage has seemed to concentrate so heavily. Um, and, on and been on like, X-Men and Fantastic right. Four and Deadpool. Right. But, you know, if you look at it from a business perspective and and Disney Plus, the new streaming service, has been Bob Iger's baby. It's been something that he has put a lot of uh, stock into and, and time and effort into developing. It's, you know, this could be one of the the crowning achievements of his time at Disney should he decide to leave in a few years, um, getting this up and running, you know, on top of the the major acquisitions that he's made. Um, it, it all... It could be the crowning achievement because yeah. you could look at it as like. And by the way, acquired... you're, you're you're saying this. This is the guy that acquired Pixar. This is the guy that yeah. acquired Lucasfilm. And you know what? I agree with you. This could be the crowning achievement over all that. Well, specifically because all of those other acquisitions are just feeding content directly into Disney Plus. You know, this is this is the end game for, or this could be uh, the end game for all <laughs> for all of that stuff. Um, you know, this is the this is the one thing that all of that could sort of be funneling towards. So I guess it makes sense in that larger sort of macro sense of like, yeah, this is just it's more assets for us to pump into Disney Plus and make that. Uh, an even more, you know, an even more um, uh, uh, reliable competitor against yeah. sites like Netflix. I mean, Disney owns everything. The one thing I'm really curious, if if Fox played such a big part into what they're doing with Disney Plus, I don't understand why Fox isn't one of these fr- uh, like brands that are like one of the sections on this Disney Plus service, the one that they showcased uh, 
was it last week or a week before? I don't know. It seems like time is going by at a mm-hmm. much uh, uh, faster pace than normal. But like, you know, they have a section for National Geographic, but they don't have a section for Fox. Like we saw Avatar listed on those tiles. Is that going to be in the Disney section? Is like uh, when I want to go watch The Simpsons, they have the entire library of the 30 seasons of The Simpsons. Is that going to be found in the Disney section? It just seems so weird. It does seem strange. You you would think that that's like tailor made to just be one of the the piers or tiers or whatever they, yeah. they're calling them that they're um <laughs> one of those verticals or whatever. But uh, I don't know. I guess they are just going to integrate all that stuff. It's sort of strange. I wonder if they're going to change that as time goes on. Um, maybe shift some things around and add new tiers or whatever. Yeah, it is a little strange. I wonder if it's too because like Fox doesn't have one discernible um, like brand or uh, identity like Marvel or Lucasfilm does. So that might be why. But it would it does seem strange just like to fold The Simpsons, for example, into Disney. I also wonder, like the Disney nature films, are they going to put that in the National Geographic section or are they going to put that in the Disney section? Hmm. I, I have so many questions. Okay. Uh, you know, talking about Disney and their innovation, they are one one of the shows that's going to hit on day one of Disney Plus streaming services, The Mandalorian. This is the live action Star Wars TV series that we've been talking a lot about. Uh, we have heard that they're using some advanced new technology to bring this show to life. And now we have a quote that tells us a little bit more. HD, what do we know? So uh, Giancarlo Esposito, who stars in The Mandalorian, uh, um, he describes some of the new technology that the show will be using, which is sort of befitting the um, experimental uh, brand of Jon Favreau, who's doing films like The Jungle Book and The Lion King and just kind of pushing the boundaries of how CGI and motion capture can be used in filmmaking. Um, And Esposito describes something uh, that's a little bit different, and it's not exactly motion capture, but I'm going to just read his quote. It might be a little confusing, but I'm going to read it as it is, and we're going to talk about it. He says, quote, Technically, this show has a new technology that's never really been refined as much as it is right now. We're in a place called The Volume, where we do most of our acting, where set pieces are brought in, where we can control the physical atmosphere of what is projected on the walls and control how gravity is. You get a feeling that gravity is being played with. This is a show that's going to be really fantastic. So um, The Volume is actually something that uh, we know about. It's something that's been used in in movies like Avengers Infinity War. It's just big room with its own set of cameras around it. Um, what it has, all the, it has all these motion tracking dots and stuff. But I, I do want to say that a lot of filmmakers and a lot of actors, whenever they have their new project coming out, they say, you know, we're doing this most like this highly innovative thing with how we're filming this. And usually it's just like a couple steps forward. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I understand, what they're doing with this series is more than a couple steps forward. This is like some we have not even gotten like a, a peek at what what's going on with this production and how they're filming it. So uh, you you want to break this down and try, try to explain what is he what is he talking about? He's talking about like uh, bringing in set pieces and things being projected on walls. Um, yeah. So it sounds a lot like he's talking about this combination of physical, like practical set pieces with um, like digital effects that are projected, like you said, but it's not projection in the more traditional term. It's not just like some sort of static shot or like a, a 
film shot that's being projected on the wall. It's something that it seems like he's, a, as he's describing it, that reacts to the environment or even reacts to eyesight or just, or lighting or um, can I say this? I'm not really sure. Like or cameras. Oh, okay. Um, you know, we're, we're we're talking in circles here because I have heard some things about this, and I feel like mm-hmm. I I was not comfortable putting this in print because I don't want to be on record saying this because we don't uh you know i don't this is so highly innovative technology that i don't want to be on record for saying certain things that might not actually end up being true or i might have misconstrued when i was explained them off record you know from someone else but from what i understand this to be is that they have this room that is surrounded by this oled screen that like uh if you have seen um you know the making of uh, a solo star wars story you saw how they surrounded the cockpit with this oled screen so that like when they're flying they're actually seeing the images outside the cockpit of like you know them jumping into hyperspace and stuff like that and and those images are actually so powerfully lit that they're actually lighting the characters in 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 the cockpit because so if there's green you know uh, trees going by them on the outside, like the the lighting on them is uh, what you'd actually see of the lighting inside the cockpit if there were green trees outside. So this is the next step from what I understand. So don't quote me on this. This is the next step forward of that. They're using this the entire the entire volume is surrounded by this this HDR screen that looks you know so real, and the camera has these. Um, tracking markers on it so if uh i'm not sure how to explain this but like uh the camera has a tracking markers on it so that the room knows where the viewpoint is and if you've ever seen like one of those sidewalk chalk drawings where if you stand in a certain spot it looks like people are falling down into a cliff but if you move even like a step forward like around that it is not 3d anymore it doesn't work it's basically that, but inside the camera. So when the camera moves, the what is being projected everywhere is being projected just to the view of that camera. So they can like create a you know cantina in in you know on the screens and have all these like some set pieces, some practical set pieces. But from the camera, they're actually like almost like they are putting virtual reality in a room. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, it's like a more evolved version of AR, of augmented reality, in a way. Yeah, I mean, and it sounds like they would probably have to have some practical props in there as well, maybe for like things in the foreground, like I don't know, chairs for people to sit on and stuff like that. Yeah, and then they or can perspective just sort of like, even. Yeah, and they can like extend the the background uh, digitally, right, Peter, or like create yes. a, a digital background. Okay, yeah, yeah, that, that's one hundred percent. So there, there's going to be you know stuff in the foreground. I, I know they showed some footage at Star Wars Celebration, and some of that has leaked online. So you could probably look at that. I, I've not looked at that through the li- eyes of how how was this filmed and how much of that is work. But I, I, from what I understand, a lot of the sets they're creating are these virtual sets. And this is something that's like never been done, definitely not on TV. It's uh, we've seen some of it in movies, like generally like in space settings. Or I think uh, Joseph Kaczynski on Oblivion used that uh, a little bit, like very minorly. Um, but it's going to be exciting to see, like, if this is the future of how you film things. I mean, 
I'm not sure, like, is this cheaper to do? Because then you got to create these visual, uh, like, virtual sets before you go into production. You're saving money on actually building them and creating, you know, uh, having construction workers create the materials. But, like, you, you still have to, like, there's a lot of technology involved, which is also expensive. But I guess it's one of those things where it's kind of like, you know, uh, you know, creating the practical dinosaurs in the Jurassic World movies. Like, you know, it, it, when Jurassic Park, it was cheaper to cr- create the practical dinosaurs. Now it's cheaper to create the digital dinosaurs and you have much more wiggle room in, you know, post-production. So maybe it's something like that. Um, I'm sure we'll learn more about this. I'm sure someone's going to listen to this podcast and take my quotes and make a story out of this. Literally, I do, I do not know. Like, this is third-hand information that I've heard, but I, I, I think this is – if you read between the lines of what he's saying, it sounds like it's that, right? Yeah, I think that sounds pretty accurate from what you're describing. So what do you guys what do you guys think about this? Do you think like this could like something like that could be the future of how everything is filmed or is this something that's only like limited to like you know big budget like Star Wars things? Um I think it it potentially could be. Um yeah, from what you're saying it's basically just like using AR as a filmmaking tool, which is really cool and probably makes a lot of um uh, smaller produ- smaller productions just easier and faster to um, to develop and produce. So yeah, I think that this could definitely be something that we're seeing in the future. I think it's going to take a long time though, because it sounds like you know it's one of those things where the technology has to get much cheaper for it to be. Yeah. Because I think Peter, mm-hmm. you've said in the past like. Mandalorian has like a hundred million dollar budget or something crazy like that for the first season, right? Um, so this is this is high end stuff that we're talking about on the show right now. So you couldn't just go out and make a small show with this technology right now because it's like prohibitively expensive. But once that technology, uh, you know, once we're a few years removed from it and everything starts to get a little cheaper and a little bit easier to access, just like with everything else, I think yeah, there's a lot of potential there for for the future of television, but I feel like it's the future that's going to be in like, you know, 10 years or something, not necessarily like, Oh, in three years, we're going to hear about all these smaller shows that were shot using this, this particular tech. I think that's right. Um, I think the most interesting thing here is that they're using this technology to light the scenes in real time. So maybe there's like some benefit and cost and time, uh, with that on set, I don't know. It's um, also interesting for Star Wars too, because if they're creating a lot of these backgrounds digitally, they have they're just like creating assets that they can save and then reuse over and over again, and that's another potential cost saving thing down the line. Yeah, if you wanted not... to have a video game or toys right. or anything, you just port it over. Right. That makes sense. Um, okay. Let's move on from that, from one edge of the Star Wars universe to another. Let's talk about Knights of the Old Republic. We've been theorizing. I mean, fans have been wanting a Knights of the Old Republic movie for some time. And we've been theorizing that, you know, one of these standalone movies would be Knights of the Old Republic. And then the Game of Thrones guys got involved and everybody was like, it has to be Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, Kathleen Kennedy was asked at Celebration if there is a Knights of the Old Republic project in development. HT, what did she say? 
She said yes. She say she get she gave a surprisingly candid answer when asked if something um, related to Knights of the Old Republic was in development, and she said. Quote, yes, we are developing something to look at. Right now, I have no idea where things might fall, but we have to be careful that there's a cadence to Star Wars that it doesn't start to feel like too much. Uh, she didn't confirm whether this would be a movie, TV series, another video game, but she did confirm in the positive that we are getting a Knights of the Old Republic project. Ben, what do you think this is? Do you think this is the the, the project, that, the trilogy of films that the Game of Thrones guys are working on? Um. I don't know. From the way that she was talking about it, because I feel like in that same round of press that she was doing at Star Wars Celebration, she also mentioned the the stuff that Benioff and Weiss, the Game of Thrones guys, are working on. And I, I don't know, something about just the, the way that she phrased that and the way that she, you know, contextually like spoke about that in comparison with this other stuff. I feel like it might be a separate thing, like it might be a, a TV show instead of being involved with their movie, but um, I don't know. It's really, it's so early to be able to tell anything like that, but I know that this is something that, like you mentioned, Peter, tons of fans are going to be really, really excited about because this has been like one of the big uh, fan wish list items for like a decade at least. Yeah, we know Ryan Johnson's thing is something completely original, so it can't be that. And I have heard rumors that they're thinking about doing like animated adaptations of some of the Star Wars legends, like, stuff so, like Knights of the Old Republic. So so maybe it, kind of like how DC Warner Brothers with the DC comics will make like those DC animated movies. So maybe it could be something like that. Or I mean, <laughs> maybe it could be another video game. Um, we'll have mm-hmm. to see. But something is in the works. And uh, I am excited to find out what. Uh, but let, let's move on to the dark side of the Internet, where apparently Avengers Endgame has been leaked online. Spoilers are everywhere. Do not trust anyone, but, uh, the you know, obviously the outlets that you can trust, like us. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, unfortunately, on Monday night, there was a huge leak from some screening somewhere. Somebody filmed, like, a cammed version of Avengers Endgame. And, uh, yeah, spoilers are are out there. And, and, you know, Slash Film obviously would never actively spoil anything for anybody or, or even, you know, write anything, any plot points or anything like that in an article without putting a huge spoiler warning on there. But, you know we can't speak for the comments to the site or any sort of forums or anything like that that you may be clicking around on. And if you care at all about preserving the theatrical experience for yourself for Avengers Endgame, uh, hopefully you haven't been spoiled already. But at this point, if this is the first you're hearing of this, uh, I would do everything in your power to remain off of that stuff as much as possible until the movie comes out. Um, The timing is pretty bad, but the, uh, the Russo brothers also released a... Uh, an image online through the Marvel Studios uh, Twitter account, basically continuing the Thanos demands your silence thing that they did last year for Avengers Infinity War, basically like asking everyone to not spoil the surprise for everybody. Um, they they didn't actually mention the leak in this letter, but you know the the point still stands. Yeah. Their their larger point. Their the letter is like basically begging people once you see the movie in theaters don't spoil it for your friends kind of thing. But I think it also, the timing of the release of this letter is also, uh, even though it doesn't specifically mention the leak, is probably hinted at or, or pointed at, directed at the people who uh, have been spoiled already. I, I'm betting that this was a letter that was read, pre-written and they were going to yeah. release around release and then, uh, you know, the spoilers hit, the, this leak hit. The, the, the most interesting thing about this leak is 
it comes before the world premiere. Like, no press that I know of nationwide has seen this film. And usually, like, the world premiere, there's some people that are not press and stuff that usually get in there. And then they'll end up going on on Reddit and stuff like that and, and spoiling stuff. That's usually when you see the first wave of spoilers. And that's happening mm-hmm. the Monday of that week of release, the so next Monday. Uh, but this, I guess, came from some... Screening internationally, I, I've heard some rumblings that some some rich people uh, paid Disney lots of money to to screen this movie early, and and one of them put it online. I don't know if that's true or not, um, but it's kind of sad. Um, but yeah, so watch out, uh, stay off social media, or watch what you read. Um, let, let's move on and talk about why the Last Man. This is a project, uh, one of the the first. Uh, modern comic books that I got into and I, I loved and I've been for the last, I guess, 15 years, been wanting to see this brought to the screen in some way, either as a movie or a television series. It, it seems like it's not going to happen. HC, what's going on here? Well, it seems it's actually still in the works, but its current showrunners have exited the project. I'll, I'll believe um, it and- when I see it. <laughs> Well, in a statement that made it sound like the, the um, project was being canceled, but essentially showrunners Ada Mashaka Kroll and Michael Green announced on Twitter that they are parting ways with the project. They, they um, released a statement saying, sad news for fans of Why the Last Man Today, FX has decided not to move forward with our series in its current form. And while fans at first took that as um, a statement saying that FX has canceled this um, uh, TV series version of um Brian Vaughn and Pierre Guerrero's comic book series, um, FX confirmed that they are not actually canceling it, but that it is still in development and they're currently searching for new showrunners. Hmm. Ben, what's the chances? What are the Vegas odds on this actually happening? I mean, I, I thought I really thought, Peter, that this was going to be the time. You know, I, I thought that, and I guess that's just like especially with Brian foolish. K. Vaughn being involved. You know, you right. Know, yeah, there were so many. All the pieces seemed to be in play. Uh, you know, they had at, stars and everything too. Yeah, yeah, they had cast. It looked like they were like very, very close. And uh, you know, the rug has been pulled out from under our feet again. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think at this point, Peter, I'm officially adopting your "I'll believe it when I see it" uh, <laughs> uh, policy on this. We'll call it the Gambit pro- uh, policy. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. You know, I, I also wonder, like, you know, I love this series, but I'm wondering as a TV series. If it even has value nowadays, like, you know, we were this was something that was created before we got The Walking Dead on TV. And like now that we've had so many post-apocalyptic like TV shows, um, you know, all over the across the board, like what does does Why the Last Man have something? Does it bring something to the table that none of those did? Um, I mean, the the gender dynamics of it yeah. are really fascinating. And that's that's always something that I think is going to be culturally relevant and, and interesting. Um, I mean, it's just such a good story. It's such a yeah. solid story all the way through. So I think there's also the case to be made that, like, you know, exceptional stories deserve to be told regardless of of uh, when they were originally written too. you know, like the there's always room for great stories in adaptation. Yeah. So, um I hope it happens in some form, but yeah, at this point, like until I see a, a trailer and like get a premiere date, I'm not going to get excited about it because I guess even they could at this point, I wouldn't be surprised if they showed us a trailer for something and then decided to pull it right before it actually aired. 
By the way, I think we had this on our most anticipated TV shows that we're going to air this year. So that's hilarious. So <laughs> we've lost. We've all lost. Okay, let's. Uh, that is actually a Vertigo comic. Vertigo is owned by DC. Let's talk about some DC stuff right now. Uh, James Gunn is rebooting Suicide Squad as the Suicide Squad, and we have learned that John Cena is going to be joining the gang. Yeah, he's in talks to join the cast. Um, so, yes, James Gunn is, is writing and directing The Suicide Squad. And according to Variety, John Cena is in talks to come aboard. Uh, there's no word about what character he would play. But a little while ago, we got an early look at a list of the characters that are going to be in the movie and sort of, you know, uh, browsing through that list and trying to decide what character Cena might be a good fit for. It seems like he would maybe be um, aligned to play a character called Peacemaker, who is a peace agent whose motives are driven by an extremist form of pacifism, which makes him love peace so much that he would kill for it. (laughs) So that's kind of like an inherently hilarious kind of premise for a comic book movie character. Uh, And John Cena obviously has spent the past few years working in you know big budget hollywood comedies so and he's also like a former wrestler who is super jacked so i feel like he would be a a really good fit for that particular um vibe and and type of character it definitely seems like a character that james gunn would want to play play with and this definitely seems like a page out of the out of the james gunn playlist of you know he he cast uh drax who was a wwe pro wrestler for guardians of the galaxy and now he's creating this other superhero team and now he's bringing in John Cena so I think that all makes sense yeah it fits in with his sort of a uh, goofy strongman um, yeah archetype that he likes to play with yeah interestingly I think uh the peacemaker is actually a role that Gunn apparently wanted Dave Bautista to play in this movie but we haven't actually heard anything official about Bautista officially joining uh, the Suicide Squad yet even though he's talked about how He's wanted to be a part of it, but I don't know if that's just going to end up being just talk or if they're really going to actually do something there. Okay, our final story for today is Swamp Thing. This is the DC series for the DC Universe streaming service. We heard yesterday that production has kind of shut down a little bit early, and one cast member was suggesting that it could be a troubled production. HD, what do we know? Things are looking sticky for Swamp Thing. (laughs) Um, so it's been reported that Swamp Thing is ending production earlier than expected. It was meant to shoot all the way up through its May 31st premiere on DC Universe with, um, all 13 episodes of the first season set to be finished by that time. Um, however, local news outlets reported that the project was going to wrap production on episode 10 with the series being rewritten, um, with the, that final episode being rewritten to have a satisfying conclusion. Um, and uh, several more days of reshoots are being planned for previously filmed episodes, but it's uncertain where the show will go from here. And uh, as you said, Peter, a cast member, Virginia Madsen, posted on her Instagram a um, a post saying that uh, this was a terrible decision and we have cut uh, quote been cut to the core by those who have never set foot in the swamp. She soon deleted that Instagram post, but it seemed to suggest that there were some troubles going on uh, behind the scenes, including reports uh, that uh, cast members and crew members were shocked by the sudden um, uh, early shutdown. Yeah, and, and you actually did some exclusive reporting here. You actually found out 
that the DC Universe streaming service is not in danger here? No. So along with reports that the Swamp Thing production was in danger uh, came uh, sort of rumors that this also spelled doom for the DC uh, Universe streaming service. Um, I got in contact with DC Universe and they were able to confirm with me that this is not the case. Uh, These two things are completely unrelated. And the Swamp Thing's early production wrap has nothing to do with the health of the DC Universe overall. And that, in fact... Um, it is expanding and um, it is uh, the it outpacing expectations. Hmm. I, you know, I wish we had Jacob on here because I know he's a big fan of Swamp Did Thing. Did someone say Swamp Thing? Whoa, Jacob. <laughs> hey, Ben. HT. Hey, Hi, Jacob. <laughs> I heard you guys talking about my favorite compa character of all time. Uh, so I decided to pop in and uh, ask how I could be of assistance. By the way, I love how like probably people listening to this imagine that like we're in an actual office and Jacob is just like sticks his head in the door. <laughs> well, that's exactly what just happened, Peter. We're all in the same room. We're in a slash from offices. Yes. Uh, so, Jacob, what, what do you, what do you think of all this? Like, do you, does this uh, sign some doom and gloom to one of your favorite uh, comic book properties? I mean, I I don't want to overreact yet. But I did, nothing about this has felt right to me from the beginning. Uh, DC Universe's first show, Titans, was not well received. It looked cheap, uh, and this just—I—I've been burned before, Peter. Uh, Wes Craven adapted Swamp Thing into a movie in the '80s, and it's not a particularly good movie. It has its defenders, but it doesn't, doesn't really capture what makes the character special in any way. And there was a TV series filmed. Uh, in the early 90s for release on the USA Network that also misunderstood the appeal of the character. So both live-action versions of Swamp Thing have really missed the mark, and hearing this is troubled is not good news. And the fact that, uh, as the articles HE mentioned, they were filming in North Carolina, they built a, a water tank. They intended to be here for multiple years, and the fact that they shut down early on the first season suggests that you know long-term plans may not becoming the fruition here. But you think like Warner Brothers wants to keep James uh, Wan happy. He's producing this, right? Yeah, he's an executive producer. And uh, it makes you wonder how involved he is because uh, Swamp Thing is very much a horror character, uh, horror and fantasy, uh, actually, if you want to um, delve into like some more more recent uh, takes in the character. And James Wan is, is a really interesting shepherd for that because he has superior experience and horror experience. But the first episode, or at least, and I think a few others, directed by Len Wiseman of the Underworld franchise, who is a less promising filmmaker, even though I do think he makes good schlock. And I guess my big issue here is that I don't want Swamp Thing to be schlock. I mean, the character himself originated as a sort of a riff on B-movie monsters, you know, a scientist who is creating a uh, special serum in a swamp lab to, uh, if I remember correctly... Uh, be able to uh, grow food easier. A company, a rival company, sabotages him. He falls in the swamp. He is uh, mixed with the serum and transformed into a swamp creature. That's the original origin of Swamp Thing. And, you know, this vengeful scientist turned into a uh, lumbering, walking plant monster. But uh, in the early 80s, with new editorial team, with Alan Moore of Watchmen fame taking over, he stopped being just this simple, I'm going to go out and fight people attacking my swamp uh, monster. And it was revealed that there have been many swamp things throughout history. This guy, this guy is not an accident. 
he is essentially he's essentially the Lorax. The Lorax could punch things. He literally speaks for the trees. <laughs> the uh the, the the um he is nature's representative on Earth. He is he is nature's ambassador to the human race, and his job is to intervene when human beings are threatening the health of of Mother Nature anywhere on Earth. And so it takes this very large, fantastical you know bent where he can travel the world. He can like conjure himself up anywhere in the world as long as there's plant life that he can you know form out of he can team up with superman he can help batman solve a mystery john constantine came out of the of the swamp thing comics as a character he was invented by alan moore to be a supporting character in that series he is not a character bound to a swamp and bound to the small scale of a of a, of a tv series and so i've had a bad feeling about this from the beginning and the fact that this is seems to be not coming together this makes me think that they weren't ambitious enough this should have been a movie or should have been a bigger tv series now it's not a streaming thing shot in north carolina man the way you describe it it would have made a great film directed by james wan yes i feel like he is so well suited to this kind of material and there's a teaser trailer released yesterday online probably to offset all that uh, bad buzz did you guys see this trailer yeah, he yeah. looks like Swamp Thing. I'll give him that. <laughs> in that brief shot of Swamp Thing rising out of the water, it looks like Swamp Thing. Ben, yeah, there's, there's, he... there's not much to really dig yeah. into there because it's just like one shot of him coming out of the swamp. But, I mean, the character design looks cool. But, I, again, I'm not sure if that translates into, uh, especially with all of the <laughs> the reservations that a hardcore fan like Jacob has, has just espoused. I'm not sure if that's going to translate into something beyond um, you know, just a, a cool, cool character design, but I don't know. Yeah, Derek Mears, who played Jason in the Friday Thirteenth remake from uh, close to a decade ago now, uh, is playing Swamp Thing once he turns into Swamp Thing, and he's actually a really fascinating physical actor. You see him pop up in a lot of roles require very tall, imposing people. So I like that they cast you know uh, someone, a movement specialist who you know is, has the right frame, but is also a, a proper actor. So I'm I'm still curious about this, but I I don't know, guys. Uh, if I, the person on the staff who's read a lot of Swamp Thing, uh, is nervous about this, what do you guys think about this? Does any of this sound appealing to you, or has anything about about DC Universe as a streaming service? Like, does, does this get you to subscribe? What's going on here? See, I, I don't think any of us is going to subscribe to the DC Universe streaming service. Although they did announce recently at WonderCon that they're going to end up putting the entire DC Comics library up until the last six months, I think on mm. that service. So that's something that I might subscribe for, kind of like how I did subscribe for Marvel Unlimited. But what I'm waiting for is Warner Brothers is starting their own streaming service, and I'm assuming eventually these DC properties are going to be engulfed in that. Uh, yeah, I am um, I was waiting for all of uh, Young Justice to be aired on DC Universe so that I could subscribe for the free trial and watch all of it and then <laughs> not subscribe to it. That's the only reason I would be interested in this um, service. My recommendation is to subscribe to DC Universe, go read Swamp Thing starting with the Alan Moore run, and keep on reading it. It stays good. Even the even the recent runs from the past few years ago from uh, Scott Snyder and Charles Soule are exceptionally good. And they're, they, they will make you wish this was getting a proper big budget you know movie adaptation and not a TV show made for a, let's face it, smaller budgeted streaming service. And just to clarify here, I don't think all the comics are on that streaming service just yet. I think they're going to be rolling that out uh, soon. But that yeah, brings... I was just looking that up, actually. They, apparently, they released, They said that they're not going to have um, the Vertigo titles on there and, and some of the other imprints. 
Um, and yeah, it's just it's going to be like a limited version of their uh, the DC Comics okay. library. This is a big, big question then because uh, more modern Swamp Thing is under the DC label, but uh, Alan Moore's run and through the eighties was all under the early days of Vertigo when Karen Berger, uh, the uh, very acclaimed editor, created Vertigo and told a bunch of really talented people to go nuts. So the question is, will they if, they if they'll have later Swamp Thing, will they have the early Swamp Thing where he's actually still the vertical print, but you know he's still involved in DC crossovers and still meeting Batman? I, I don't know. That's a, I'm very curious. Okay, well, that brings us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. You can find all the stories we mentioned on this podcast on SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes. So if you want to check out that Swamp Thing teaser trailer you can check that out link there slash film daily is published every weekday on itunes google overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps please feel free to send us your feedback questions comments concerns to us at peter at slash and please head on over to our itunes page give us a five-star review tell your friends spread the word and we'll see you tomorrow yeah, I'm looking at this DC Universe thing right now, and they actually they responded to somebody who asked them a question, and they were trying to clarify what's going on here. They said, this is why we instituted the rule of not carrying issues younger than 12 months, as well as those items like The Killing Joke and others that are still very valuable for collectors and retailers alike. So it seems like they're purposefully keeping big-ticket items off of the... The service? That's like a weird... I mean, yeah. I, for people who subscribe to that... that thinking, that's shitty. Like, yeah. why would you want to be reading a comic book run and then... Well, I guess Killing Joke is its own... It's not part of the run, right? Yeah, yeah but it's, like... It's a standalone story, but Ben's right. This is crappy. I mean, if you're paying that monthly subscription, you should have access to everything. And maybe if there is a, you know, a, a popular collection or run or something that's in the middle of a, a bigger arc... And maybe that one is just not going to be in there because it's valuable for collectors and retailers like that. Yeah, that's that's uh, uh, yeah. Mm. Well, maybe I'll try out my free trial when they when they end up actually launching this part of the service. Yeah.